everyone. Welcome to the Flywheel Pod, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and the world on chain. If you want to know what's going on, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K. We're to help you harness the power of the flywheel. In this episode, we had a few flywheelers on, a few researchers on, who are very, you know, in one with the flywheel. Uh, we had Chase from Missouri, we had Jack from the Thai, and we had, of course, Master Threador, Haim Solomon. And it was a good episode. We got like a solid roundtable, solid discussion, discussing all things Frax, DeFi, and Ethereum. Uh, Kit, what are your thoughts? Uh, my favorite part is the alpha leak at the end. So everybody, make sure you stay yeah. for that. And, oh. um, and, and you know, we, it's so cool that Haim was basically almost like our second or, or third guest on the show. And that was when he just kind of looked into DeFi and then look at where he is now. He's literally talking yeah. about cryptography, you know? I know. It's cool to think that Haim was our second episode. And I feel right. like that was such a landmark episode for us. And also for him as well. Like after that episode, I, would, I feel like his follower account just took off. Mm -hmm. And then for us, everybody was like, wait, like Flywheel is here. It's on the map. You know, this is something we should pay attention to. So like definitely like mutually beneficial for the both, both of us and have this kind of reunion going on. Um, yeah. And then, of course, having Jack on, you know. Yep. Getting, you know, from having him on a few weeks ago, giving, you know, his case for the tie and the Frax partnership, and now like him giving his spicy takes about Frax, which, you know, he gets into detail on the episode. Um, it's really, you know, something to look forward to. And yeah, then, of course, which, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And with, with Jack specifically, I'm excited for once he starts pushing out these frac specific reports and dashboards. And obviously, us being Flywheel, we're going to get first eyes look onto that. And we would help, you know, educate yeah. the whole community about yeah. this institutional the, perspective yeah. and framing of frax. Yeah, the fact that we're going to be ambassadors to frax uh, on the Ties platform is pretty cool. Um, and so, yeah, let's get into it. But before we get into it, don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. We're at three, no, 960 subscribers. Damn. We're still close to 1,000. Let's get us there. Get that let's comma. Get yeah. Hit that bell button. Subscribe. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FlywheelPod. Uh, Telegram. Join our group at FlywheelPod. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDay22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And before we get the flywheel spinning on this episode, I would let... Well, I want to let all our builders and DAO aficionados know about FraxSwap. If you're a DAO and you're looking to have deep liquidity for your token and a place to trade in size without encountering much slippage, FraxSwap is the place to be. That is because, because it's a TWAM, it's basically a DCA machine, so you can facilitate trades not just one over like one moment, but over a few hours, a few days, or even a few weeks and months. So if you're a DAO, looking for a place for your for token liquidity, for your native protocol token, FraxSwap is the place to be. And now let's get the flywheel spinning. All right, everyone, we are back with the researcher roundtable at Flywheel Pod. We have Haim, Master Threader extraordinaire. You've been absolutely going off. I love it. Jack from the tie, you know, Master Fraxmalist. And Chase, who wrote the Fire DeFi Trinity article, so we brought him on. Chase from Mazari. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. We only have an hour, so let's get right into it. The DeFi Trinity is live. It is here. Fraxland is out. Frax Swap has been out. Frax ETH is on the way, and also Frax Ferry next. Lots going on. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the current state of Frax with the Trinity Live and all these other products coming out? 
let's kick it off with uh, Haim. Yeah, let's kick off with Haim. <laughs> um, I think, like, I think from a super high level perspective, um, I like. I think it's amazing to see like uh, this vision of like mastering what's happening on chain really come to fruition. Really, since the last time we talked, and I think that you know it's easy to say we're the biggest stablecoin. We um, are. At the time, I think they were just deployed FrackSwap, or we're talking about deploying FrackSwap. Um, and now to just see like how much further we've progressed um, is like really, really amazing. And what I do want to say um, now, as like we've kind of shifted our focus to a like post-merge Ethereum, um, like the true alpha in Frax is really in like what's happening in this Frax E thing. And so like. Love the Trinity framing, like here to talk about that, here to support that. But like, I don't know, I'm here about like the Frax single pillar and that's like Frax ETH and the things we're going to build around it. And like, that's what I think is incredible. So, um, Frax and list. Okay. Let's, let's slide it over to Chase from Azari. I want to hear from him. Yeah, I think it's just a really impressive testament to how fast Frax ships. I mean, we've seen kind of like the discussion about like these different um, like protocol trinities coming and emerging over the last several months. But, you know, Frax being the first of the market where this is actually all on chain now, um, these ideas have kind of come out through um, just very fast iterations. It's been really impressive to me. Um, so to now see kind of like the development work shift over to Frax ETH, I'm really excited to see how fast this stuff gets spun up, uh, moved on chain, and you know actually start to hopefully compete with with Lido, um, since they have such a big market share in the uh, decentralized uh, liquid staking derivative space. Um, hopefully, you know give Rocket Pool a, a little bit of competition as well. Um, but I think it's just good for the balance of the ecosystem to have more people uh, competing in the space. And to you, Jack. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily have a, a ton to add, but for me, one of the things I've been really focused on lately from a research perspective is um, not just trying to find the next narrative, the next cycle, but understanding where existing applications, whether on the protocol level or on the blockchain level, have found some, some element of product market fit and trying to understand like how their thesis really contributes to the way they build. And one of the things that's been consistent for me about the Frax4 team and about Frax the protocol is that everything that they launch is really tactical in trying to contribute to that core ethos, right? And that's something that is really important to me, you know, as both an investor, as a researcher, and as someone who likes to dabble on the building side, right? Is what what are you actually trying to do? And is everything that you launch actually working to that end? And I, I think, especially in this space, so narrative, so volatile, so momentum heavy, that it's really easy to get caught up in whatever the latest news is, miss the forest for sight of the trees, but I think one of the things that is consistent to me over time is how much Frax understands what its mission is, right? It's providing liquidity, it's enabling decentralization, and every single product they launch is working to, toward that end. So now it remains about execution, about composability and tying all these things together, which oftentimes is the really hard part, but is the most exciting part too. Hey, would you agree with that? What uh, Frax's force in the trees is, it's providing liquidity, being the best stable coin out there, um, what are your thoughts on the forest of the trees for Frax? Um, I definitely don't disagree with that. And I think that um, from like maybe the business or the investor or like the implementation side, I think that is absolutely the right framing. 
Um, and one of the reasons I'm a fractionalist is because like I have watched Sam and the team deliver and, you know, at the end of the day, like ideas are worth like the paper you write them on and to, you want to line up behind the people in the team that you think, um, can actually like change the world, regardless of what they say they're doing. It's about what they ship and then how they like are able to, you know, weather the storm that is like just the world, but then specifically crypto. And we all experience what happened between, let's say, May and today, and it's still happening. Um, and just if, if you were just to look at Frax as, you know, a protocol or a company or whatever, you would, you would never know that anything like bad happened. Um, and like, meanwhile, like the earth is on fire. So um, I think that that is that's the right way to look at it, and um, that is like again from a that that is a very like exciting cool thing. Um, I think like there's also like other really compelling things which are like more forward thinking and like pushing the bounds of crypto and Ethereum and like what we're even doing here. But um, I, I don't know. I think that's getting ahead of ourselves. So I'll, I think it's Chase's turn. <laughs> Yeah, Chase, what do you think is the uh, forest to the trees for Frax? Would you agree with Jack and, and Aim, or do you, do you think there's something else in there? My, my Wi-Fi rugged me a little bit on that, so I actually uh, wasn't really uh, able to hear their, their answers, really. Uh, if someone could, you know, just quickly summarize what each of them were. Um, Haim was saying how Frax is, you know, super forward-thinking. You know, even, you, even between May and now, um, with all the events that have happened in, in crypto, you wouldn't have, e Frax, it seems like Frax wouldn't have even noticed they haven't skipped a beat. And Jack was uh, saying like the forest of the, the trees is really Frax putting their heads down, focusing on their mission, which is um, provide, being like the most liquid stablecoin out there and really be, being a shelling point for other stablecoins, you know, to have a pair with. Yeah, I, I think in a similar vein, just uh, resiliency, uh, you see like the, complete implosion of Terra and stuff. Uh, I think that fundamentals speak for themselves. Uh, you know, you see the peg of Frax um, very strong throughout all the, the market craziness um, and whatnot over the past several months. Um, but at the end of the day, like Frax continues to ship, um, everything continues to work and protocol fundamentals, um, I think are stronger than ever. Yeah, and we've all been super bullish right here in the first five, ten minutes of this, but I kind of want to, like, bring ourselves back down to Earth. Um, what do you guys think? Well, I'll start with uh, Haim. Um, what's something you think Frax can improve on? Um, I think that, look, like, I, I just to, like, frame myself as opposed to, like, Jack and Chase here, I think that, like, I am much more of like a moon boy believer in um, Ethereum and just like the vision that we're um, all driving towards. And so that is like mostly what I'm going to speak towards and less towards like the the execution layers or the, um, I don't know, some of the like more close in stuff. So like, I just want to preface everything I'm going to say about with that. Um, where I think there's opportunities to improve is really around uh, helping the world understand like what we're doing here. And I think like every, the way the world understands Frax is basically like, oh, stable coins, they're the best stable coin. And oh, there's like money markets out there and they're deploying one of those. And oh, there's Lida, look how huge they are. We're gonna get that too. And I think that, 
I think that that's like very helpful for the type of audience that we have. But I think for the the, to the type of audience that I'm interested in attracting, which is like true invested long-term stakeholders, I think um, Frax could do a lot better job of helping understand like why we're even doing any of this. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is this is our time, right, Dave? Um, yeah, this is no for for those that that aren't as in the governance forum frax weeds as I have been over the last couple of weeks, and Dave has been consistently. Uh, we actually just agreed verbally, or I guess on Chainly, to uh, to partner with my company, the Tie and Frax, to put together a series of reports dashboards, get fracks in front of institutions via people like Dave and the core team, uh, have them tell Frax's story in, in its own words, but with a team of researchers like myself who have a lot of experience talking to institutions, helping contextualize it, helping translate some of that DeFi native jargon into topics that they understand. And even on top of all that, helping say, okay, you know, given the expertise, the dashboarders, that Dave has access to, what are the metrics that make the most sense to measure Frax protocol health for these people, right? And just providing a full a full suite of information from, hey, I just heard about this, this stablecoin Frax, uh, I'm scared of it, how do I then go in, get all the information I need, see all the data I need, talk to the team to understand where they come in from and what their mission is, uh, and then go ahead and how do I get involved, right? And so the goal is to just really consolidate that entire process and completely agree with you um, to, if, if I were going to chime in and harp on something that I have talked about to Dave a million times, uh, the one thing for me that Frax should really look to do in a more focused way, right, is, uh, and this is honestly not Frax specific, right? This is something that's kind of symptomatic of the way crypto is built, where it was driven by these tech-focused wizards who are like, I have an idea that I want to build, right? And then... For crypto to really be successful over the long term, you need to take these moonshot ideas and turn them into businesses, right? And so I think over the long term for Frax to really get to the point where it can make the impact and have the trust that it needs to have to be successful, it needs to get to the point where there's consistent reporting from a balance sheet perspective, strict definitions on what profitability is, strict definitions on how much curve and convex am I looking to accumulate to accomplish all the liquidity provision that I need to do, right? and have an understanding of exactly what needs to be bribed to accomplish that, right? And so right now there's kind of a lot of, oh, we're gonna be doing this amount of bribing for six months with no real thought of like, oh, if price changes over time, how does that affect things? Or if the rewards I've accumulated change over time, how does that affect things? And I, and I think over the long term for people to get involved, there just needs to be a lot more clarity, standardization around um, some of that basic financial stuff that may seem really tedious, but is ultimately gonna going to be the the underlying foundation that allows this protocol to scale and even just like anecdotally right on luna like i'm not saying frax is luna but what happened there it was their their costs got out of control relative to the actual assets that they had on hand and the profits that they were taking in and a lot of that wasn't malicious it just came from a core lack of understanding on functionality and then a lack of reporting and tracking of actual assets right and so um Again, like end of the day, what, what matters is, is just understanding what you've built uh, in a variety of perspectives. And, and that's what I'm really excited for Frax to do next. Right, right. Yep, we've talked about that plenty of times and, you know, keep feeding on that drum. <laughs> uh, Chase, uh, what about you? What do you think uh, are some things Frax can improve on? 
Yeah, so I think my answer here is is twofold. So the first uh, point kind of to echo what Heyman and Jack just brought up is, um, you know, just putting more context into what Frax is actually doing. You know, like the, the protocol's short history has gone through like a ton of crazy evolutions and stuff so far. I think to the marginal user, that's just not clear whatsoever. Um, so, you know, if there's a way to tell a more cohesive story to get the next uh, generation of users into Frax, you know, the people that aren't so DeFi native um, on-chain experts, you know, like if we're talking about institutions and stuff coming into such an asset, like they need to, <laughs> they need to have some of like the curve and all the craziness uh, abstracted away from them and also understand how the protocol has evolved to date. So like, you know, it's, it's AMOs that are doing a majority of the lifting here. Now it's, it's not V1 of Rax anymore um, with the burn mint stuff going on and FXS getting burned. Um, so, you know, just making that as clear as possible and kind of reflecting that on the front end uh, to the marginal user is, is point number one. I think number two is, um, you know, searching for more organic adoption. And so going back to the point of, you know, if, if institutions are more geared toward the, towards this now, you know, people actually holding it for um, like a desire to hold like a stable asset rather than just throwing it into curve and LPing there. Um, I think that, you know, we can, we can get excited about, you know, TVL going up and stuff. Um, but at, at the same time, we need to also be wary of, you know, what's, what's going to be there in the long haul. Um, and, you know, you can't count on curve emissions forever and stuff. And, you know, part of the success of a stable coin is it actually being used out in the wild. Uh, and mm -hmm. so that's what I really look for when I'm, I'm evaluating different stables. Yeah. I, yeah. Can I, I, can I actually make yeah, one more go ahead. here? Cause I, yeah. I, I completely agree with you, Chase. And especially to the point of product market fit that we were hitting on earlier, right? Like for a stable coin, uh, what, what is it actually there to do? It's there to provide liquidity through a financial system in this case, DeFi, right? And like Luna up it, or sorry, you can blur that out, but Luna, Luna messed up because they, uh, they were only being used as a stable coin as like a savings mechanism, in a single protocol, right. Versus like, even one of the things I loved about Olympus back in the day, um, was that they were actually trying to be used as a base pair asset for facilitating liquidity across a lot of protocols. Right. And those protocols didn't end up having product market fit. So it didn't really work out super well. But that's actually what, what Frax should be trying to do, right? Like they have this edge in the opportunity cost of minting versus a fully um, collateralized by cash stable coin. And so from a business perspective, stuff like FraxLine and FraxSwap makes sense because you're simultaneously increasing networks effect, healthy network effects of minting while simultaneously um, increasing the, the core value proposition of the protocol. So completely agree on that, on that point too. Yeah, so I've always... Yeah, go ahead, Kid. Real quick, I just want to make an observation here. The first point across the board from all three of you is about essentially communication and Frax's ability to communicate its its why to the world, communicate its strategy on how to improve its AMOs, and simply getting its next strategy to get the retail adoption. And that's kind of what you know. There's a free plug here for the flywheel pod. And that's why we're here yeah, to kind of send exactly. this message out and put it all together. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you guys, you guys kept mentioning a use case, a stable coins adoption, a yada, yada. Like what timeline is in your mind when you say that? Are you expecting that to happen in the next year, three, five, 10? 
because you know retail mass adoption is a lofty goal and i feel like everyone here has a different timeline in mind for when that is so i, I would love to get uh, thoughts from let's start with chase and then we'll work backwards yeah i, I think uh my I don't necessarily have like a hard date or anything. I think it so much depends on like regulations. Um, so whenever <laughs> the world wants to actually come to clarity about how stable coins are going to be regulated, what are our actual rules around building this stuff? Um, to me, I think that, you know, once regulations actually come online and provide clarity for the actual um, like startups, builders in this space to create like products that these are tied into in the real world, that'll be hugely beneficial. Um, and knowing what constraints that they can play uh, within for that. However, like your guess is as good as mine when that'll actually come online. So, you know, it could be six months, it could be a year, five years, 10 years. Um, and so I think that is a lot more open-ended. Wait, kid, can I add something here? Yeah. Um, so I've always viewed Curve as like the whole Curve ecosystem as like the real backbone and star worth of Frax adoption. I don't think without Curve, like fracks would be the same is really like what's the number like what are you trying to do with the stable coin you're trying to get use out of it you're trying to give it a reason to exist and curve was really the first like shelling point for stable coins and the first you know place for like reason why like fracks could exist it's like oh we have like a vehicle to create you know massive fracks liquidity hence like the curve aml being 70 percent 80 percent of uh you know of fracks liquid of like backing of fracks technically um and so like curve was like a really good bootstrap for fracks adoption you know, at its height, Frax was like 2.8, 2.9 billion. Right now it's uh, in circulation right now, it's 1.3 billion. And now when you say like looking for, like what's the most important thing for a stablecoin? It's for people to hold it. So like I consider like, you know, Olympus to be a really important partner because they're one of the first DAOs to uh, hold a lot of Frax. And I think finding more partners like Olympus that hold, fr that, you know, will hold Frax long-term. Um, also, I see Frax ETH as like, really the spark to that will get the DeFi trinity flywheel going and behind frac frax ETH, you know you can do a bunch of cool different things with all the different frax primitives you have frax land so like let's say like you know and you know you have rocket pool you basically you know have a loan you bond uh 16 ETH to you know get a rocket pool node um i am i imagine a similar thing with frax land happening and maybe it's not with 16 ETH, maybe it's with 4 ETH, or maybe you want to, you know, have a Frax, Frax ETH node, but you don't have the, the ETH in the, like in the current moment to do it. So you can basically have like the yield from Frax ETH pay for the Frax lend loan. So I see like, you know, Frax ETH really being the cat, like the first use case for like this Frax credit system. And like once that's proven on chain, and once real world assets get easier to onboard on chain and hey, I think we talked about this before, like we want, you know, the real world to come to us, not like us to come to the real world. And so like once, you know, the proper rails for that to happen are in place and basically Frax has the best rates and the best numbers, then I can see like the real adoption, and real bootstrap happening. Does that make sense? You know, and, and Dave, you Let's let's just jump right into Frax ETH because that's also another thing that all these three guys are excited about. I feel like the Holy Trinity is now like a given thing. You know, it's already past news, and what's at the forefront today is Frax ETH. Um, so I, let, let's start with Jack here. Like, what do you think is the success case for Frax ETH? What does success look like? 
Yeah, no, I think there's actually a few different really interesting mechanisms for Frax ETH to get uptake, right? So again, like something I'm really focused on is breaking everything down to like, not core principles, but almost what I call like pragmatic core principles and that I'm not concerned with like what is actually driving liquid staking at its core, but I'm concerned with like what's going to drive uptake practically for it, right? Especially versus incumbents like Lido and Coinbase. Um, the biggest thing people are going to care about first and foremost is the amount of yield that they can earn on their Frax, right? And, oh, sorry, on their ETH, right? And to that end, I think that Frax has an interesting opportunity set with its relationship to Curve. And because they'll be able to burst, boost Curve convex pools for Frax ETH ETH, um, that will set some alternative baseline for, hey, here is a relatively risk-free, you know, insofar as providing liquidity is. Um, there's no impermanent loss. And like, here's some baseline level of yield on my ETH that will help increase uh, the, the baseline staking rate that Frax will be able to offer, especially given that another, a number of these other factors will be really constant uh, in terms of, you know, everyone's kind of running the same MEV boost software at this point. And so general increases on that front from a tech perspective are probably going to be pretty negligible in the near term. And then the other major avenue that I see is really interesting for Frax um, that they can potentially explore is something like uh, validator selectivity, where let's say that I want to stake my Frax, uh, sorry, stake my ETH, um, but I want to do so in a way that is OFAC compliant or non-OFAC compliant, let's say, depending on whether I'm like really crypto decentralization maxi or whether I'm someone who just wants to stake ETH and know that I'm being good for my book, right? And so... What Frax can do is because they'll have potentially significantly more access to validators than someone like a Lido or someone like a Coinbase will, uh, they will have a lot more flexibility and could potentially even offer programs where it's like, hey, um, you can stake your ETH with this validator that does this specific set of conditions and then add value to consumers in terms of flexibility and who is actually staking my ETH too, right? And so those are the two major areas that I see as especially interesting for, for Frax ETH in the near term, yeah. Cool. Hey, what about you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I think um, in the near term, I think that Frax ETH has like a competitive advantage that just makes it a more compelling product than like realistically any other um, liquid staking derivative. And it's simply in like, well, it starts with the design of stake Frax ETH, right? Which like every ETH that goes into the system will create a... God, I hate doing this like via voice, but right, create a FXS ETH token, right? But and FXE. Sorry. FRX. That's what I'm saying. It's so confusing. Yeah, the nomenclature is a little fucked. I'm just going to call it Frax ETH, right? Okay. So every ETH that goes into the system is going to create a in validators earning more ETH. Um, and the thing is that only people that take their uh, Frax ETH and put it in the staking vault are going to earn that ETH, right? So the question becomes, how do we minimize the amount of people that put their Frax ETH into that vault? Because it's going to be earning maximum yield at all times. We want to minimize the amount. That'll make it more compelling. And like, what is the one competitive advantage that Frax has over everything else? Like, honestly, forget the stablecoin, forget like the, the one thing that Frax has that like really can't be bought at this point is this massive, massive, massive amount of control over the curve ecosystem. Yep. 
And they can use that to like, like stupidly incentivize the, the Frax ETH ETH curve pool. And that will cause a lot of people to take their Frax ETH and put it in that pool. Like, well, let's say they incentivize it to 20%. Mm-hmm. That is so much more compelling to some people than, you know, 5% on their ETH. So they'll move it over and that will, let's say half the people move it over, that doubles the, uh, the yield in staked Frax ETH, right? So like day one, like we're done. That is just like a consequence of the game that Frax has already played. And I think like that is just cool. Like that is something that no one else can do. That is something that is like, from a, from a product standpoint, from a product market fit standpoint, from everything, that is like something amazing that is not just like long, launching another liquid stake derivative. Um, but honestly, like this is like, it's bigger than this. Like I, I understand that it's the bear market and things are like so just like terrible, like both on and off chain, right? Like the merge just passed and we all just kind of like let it happen. You know, and some of us like stayed up late if you're in the U.S. at least. And like we were on like a Zoom call and then like the next day we all like whined that the price went down. And like, (laughs) yeah, here we are. I was going to say, you know, Frax has this like huge advantage with like it's convex and it's and it's placed in the curve pool. Like this is what I mean that like the curve ecosystem is like the backbone Star Wars of Frax without curve. I don't I'm not even sure there would be Frax. And that's why they make such a great triumphant or yeah yeah and so yeah yeah. go ahead no no and that like definitely gives like frax like the like the jet fuel that it needs to like take off into this like world and like look if curve continues to be the backbone of like DeFi and DeFi becomes the backbone of finance like frax wins right um and like let's be real curve is what two ish years old, a little over two years old. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen. And so like, I love that Frax has won that battle today, but like now we're in a post merge world and like, we don't have to get into the whole, all of it. Right. But just like as a metaphor, proof of work was this like super competitive, super destructive process, like that you can like analogize to like, let's say like gladiators, like, every miner entered the ring and then like one guy came out alive with the prize. And then like, you know, we start over and that was like so destructive every single time. And it is what it was. And you know, that was great. Right. Proof of stake is like, I don't know, American football or uh, like checkers or, or chess. Right. It, it has like art and like beauty and it's, it is at its very nature coordination. And like what that means is that there's like roles for people to play. And like what I'm interested in is Frax like the day after the merge happens, actually no, what five, three or four months ago is saying like, we are gonna be one of those players. We are gonna control a seat at that table. We're gonna make sure we're a massive player. And like, we're not, you know, corporate raiders. We're not here for the profits. Like we're here to build, we're here to like ensure the future of Ethereum and like, I don't know. That's what I see when I see Frexeth. Yeah. Um, for my next question, um, you know, we just, we're talking about Curve a lot here, but I want to get into kind of this battle that's happening between Uniswap and Curve in a number of ways. Uh, you know, Uniswap with the Uni V3, they take a lot of the aggregator volume. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on this, like, Curve versus Uniswap bat- battle? Is there one that's necessarily better than the other? Um, what are your guys' thoughts? And let's start with, uh, let's start with Chase. 
Yeah, I think from my end, uh, I'm kind of in the belief that, you know, fees trend towards zero on a long enough time horizon. Um, and, you know, incentives won't uh, be able to prop things up forever. So it's really important to keep an eye on, you know, where unincentivized liquidity is going. Um, I think that, you know, Uniswap has, I mean, they're, they're the first market in, in all of this um, and, and really just like builds up a huge user base, which has definitely helped them. Um, but more and more you're seeing uh, new iterations coming out of Curve that are, that are starting to compete more. Um, I do worry about it a little bit in the long term from like a Frax perspective and that like so much of um, kind of like the usage and growth of Frax is dependent on Curve. Um, and, you know, it, all of that up and leaves, like where, where does that leave us? Uh, so I, I think it's really important to plan for, uh, you know, like creating organic adoption. Again, I go back to that um, in the long term. You know, what are the things that are really going to set Frax apart for that? Um, I didn't get a chance to to bring this up in the um, in, in one of the earlier questions, but something that's really stood out to me is that really like it was a light bulb click moment for me uh, with Frax Lend is you know the ability to package up um, custom term sheets and and loans and whatnot uh, under collateralized things and you know transition Frax from being like uh, a hard collateral USDC die all the shenanigans backed and have it more backed. Um, just on the premise of loans. And I think ultimately in the long term, that's a more sustainable design solution. Um, and so it's it's things like that that excite me the most about potential. Um, and ultimately what I would like to see like the long-term protocol push towards rather than um, just like so much of a focus around like curve. Jack, so what are your thoughts? Yeah. Unis Uniswap versus curve. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on Curve, and I'll get into Uniswap after, but from a basis point, like, I completely agree, and is it really worth, this is a, a key point I get to, like, is it really worth continuing to bribe pools for added liquidity when there's currently 1.5 billion or whatever it is of net frax liquidity that's getting traded, like, 500k a day, right, across all the pools? And part of it is just from a, um, a monetary perspective, like, you you don't necessarily even need that deep of liquidity as stuff changes, and a jump, a adjusting and having flexibility in your own monetary policy, like as Frax is a stable coin issuer is important too, right? And that's something that I think needs to happen long-term where yes, like Curve was super important for Frax growing and it remains super important for Frax maintaining PEG, but it's important to contextualize that and understand that that is what it is relative to Frax, right? And for Frax to succeed, it needs to succeed in its own right, not because of Curve. And so like something down the line that that I think needs to happen is honestly a somewhat unappointing of Frax and Curve for better or for worse, where Curve can always be there to help support Frax liquidity and help maintain PEG. But ultimately, Frax should be driving as much as it can in-house because facilitating liquidity is their key goal, right? And so down the line, that's something that I would really like to see happen. Uh, beyond the point to, to this debate of Curve versus Uniswap, um, DEXs are actually something that I'm like really, really bearish on in the in the medium term because ultimately I th and even over the long term because ultimately I think that this is going to be something that's really similar to trading flow, institutional trading flow or retail trading flow even in traditional markets where a lot of this is just the value isn't even the underlying flow it's perhaps the information that you're getting from aggregating that flow 
But when it's all on chain, as opposed to an off chain order book, a lot of that value actually disappears because anyone has access to that data. And so ultimately, I think margins in that business are going to compress. And especially with the rise of aggregators, something that we have seen internally at the tie is that there are actually very, very few daily active users of these protocols like Uniswap, like SushiSwap. The majority are interacting with them through routers. And so a lot of these protocols are really, really subject to their model remaining the best because if someone else gets better, more efficiently, more efficient liquidity um, and better capital optimization, then they're going to lose share, which is something that we've seen to a degree, especially on side chains with synthetic protocols rising and offering really deep liquidity and execution. And so I think over time, stuff flows to aggregators and over time, protocols like Uniswap can't incentivize their pools as much as a newer pool, as a newer project can with better capital, better capital efficiency and more and more swaps get, get routed away from these protocols. And so over time, I think a lot of this kind of trends to flat and putting too many of your eggs in the basket of a single DEX or a single liquidity platform is kind of just asking for, for failure. That's my probably pretty non-consensus take for DeFi. Hey, what do you think? Yeah, I I mean, I think if, like, I'm the wrong person to address, like, Uniswap versus Curve. Like, honestly, if, if we want to talk about that, we just need to get Barry Freed in here, right? And he'll just tell all of us what the right answer is. Um, but I think, look, like, here's, like, a bunch of bas- backseat driving. I think that my understanding of what Frax was doing in regards to the Frax stablecoin was the point was that it was the gold standard best uh, stablecoin in DeFi. And that wasn't just some like marketing thing. That was because of this construction of the, um, the Frax base pool in curve. And when you paired with it, you get this like special bonus yield that like that your LPs would get. And so like, therefore it, it literally was the best option for DeFi. And the question that I feel like I'm going crazy trying to answer is like, I don't understand what that means in a world where, in which CRV USD exists, right? And I think, I think there's a lot of like, I, I don't, as much as like, there's this flywheel and the fusing of the three and this one owns this percent of this much and Convex owns 25% of Frax, right? Is that right? Someone? I think, I think they own the voting power because they lock it for four years. Oh, that's right. But, that's but right. They don't own okay. the actual quantity. And by the way, that's another thing we need to talk about is like voting power versus tokens. Like, I know. You know, I think we all we all try to put these like tradfi framings on stuff. And like this is like cutting edge computer. Like we're building theory here. And I think we need to have some more tolerance for some different ideas around this. And I think that. I'm very confused by the flywheel and what the incentives are and like what happens when people when in one group want to make a, a move that's independent of the other two or the other one or one of if someone gets cuts out. And I think everything that Chase and Jack said are like very good questions about the sustainability of like DEXs as a concept. And so I think um, I think they're all great questions. And my Again, my view on all of this is like you you master what you have, uh, you, you know, you master the, the landscape as it is and you build to what you have and you conquer that. And then, you know, you skate to where the puck is going. And that's again, like 
I'm excited by everything that's going on in DeFi because I think what that is is a like growing of the Frax empire into a like world that like only is up only, <laughs> which is a scary thing to say these days, right? But um, mm -hmm. I think what is like bullish for Frax the protocol is that like that we're nobody understands what Ethereum is yet, and like Sam and the team are willing to like go on that journey. And they're not like saying like, oh no, we're like the DeFi kings. Got it. Let me double click on what Haim said earlier about um, Curve USD and how that may impact the Fraxis flywheel. Is it going to hurt it or improve it or amplify it? Let's go over to Chase. How do you feel about the Curve USD from a Frax perspective? Yeah, I, I haven't had too much time to look into the specifics of Curve USD, but just from a high level, um, I think, you know, on the surface, like Frax and Curve can say that, you know, they're, they're synergistic, but all of these protocols are kind of shifting towards this Trinity business model where they're trying to right. own like the three, uh, basic, uh, most, most basic, uh, functionalities of DeFi. Um, and I think it, it gets to the point where, um, Curve is going to be like, well, actually we can do, um, things more efficiently just working off of our own stack that kind of concerns me for uh for frax in the long term uh, but i think that you know frax getting out ahead of things like common saying skate to where the puck is going um first to the market with this whole trinity stack um and you know things are actually being shipped to counteract this um i think that you know moving towards getting more liquidity on like frax swap um and really just leaning back into the protocol owned components of the flywheel rather than uh outsourcing to curve is is going to be beneficial in the long run and yeah I, I guess i'm just uh a little skeptical of how long protocols can continue to kind of be buddy buddy until they they turn on each other so you think there'll be a, a d flywheeling effect you know moving forward with the the curve usd thing okay all right Jack, I don't see like you. a DeFi wheeling. I, I just feel like maybe in the future, uh, well, probably happen in the future is, you know, FraxSwap will gain liquidity because I feel like I always view FraxSwap as a tool for protocols to use for monetary policy. Like if I'm a DAO or if I'm a treasury manager and I want to trade in size, uh, FraxSwap will be the location to do it be because it's a TWAM. So I really see like um, FraxSwap and Curve in parallel to each other. Um, well, I more, think Jason's yeah. point, though, is that if that's like a compelling business, like why wouldn't Curve just implement that on just their like TWAMs, right? Why wouldn't they have and, a TWAM? To, yeah. to Frax's point, like why not in the future just uh, build a concentrated liquidity aspect as well? And then I mean, I think they are going to the stack comes in house. They did yeah. say they were going to build that in the future, actually. <laughs> that's the so I'm, I'm just saying, like on a, a longer yeah. time horizon, like if everyone starts elbowing each other, like instead of all everyone being interconnected, you know, we're all just kind of in these more siloed ecosystems again. Um, I don't necessarily see it as like uh, the opposite of, of flywheel unwinding or anything. I think just like the competitive landscape looks a bit different um, in where like value accrues. It's, it's more the like internalization of the flywheel. You know, instead of yeah. having a flywheel spread out across yep. four different protocols, you can have two years of DeFi building under your belt where you can have all four of these protocols in-house accrue that value instead of paying the margin out and like, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of these liquidity businesses, I think they kind of trend to, from a margin perspective, to flat over time. And you really have to have some sort of differentiated 
advantage product market fit whatever it is to like actually see uptake and so like i know you were you were i think gonna ask me anyway so like from yeah. crv usd right like I, I see the big advantage that frax has is that crv usd is going to be over collateralized fully by the assets that they have in house and this is something that i that we harp on a lot um whenever dave and i talk is this idea of frax being able to be under collateralized but fully backed right and you know you don't actually have to have the collateral on hand because you are going to earn some portion of profit on your balance sheet from newly minted assets yeah. and that actually gets passed through as opposed to held internally right and so i think over the long term frax actually in my opinion needs to lean into this relative opportunity cost push its differentiated advantage where it can and then find additional product market fit there versus everyone trying to compete along the same lines that ends up being kind of a fool's errand and and i think frax will lose a lot of what makes it really really unique if it ends up trying to do that got it okay and i, I want to click on what jack said earlier about once you take these four protocols and take the flywheel internally do you need to play with all the other outside protocols if everybody has their own internal flywheel is there like a plugging in of all these cogs to make like an even bigger flywheel like you know and, and anything that comes to mind for that i think it's like the new business model right where initially you as a company have to subscribe to five different SaaS products and then as you grow your stack oftentimes may get smaller um, within operations because you can go to a bigger product right and so I think initially what may happen is, you know, there's a few DeFi products that are really good for onboarding new protocols or for helping transition traditional companies into crypto or help their get, get their balance sheet digital or whatever it is. And so different people will have different spots in that stack. But if you are trying to own like a full stack operation like Frax is trying to do and like a few of these other DeFi protocols are trying to do, then you have to really have a compelling value proposition for a specific type of business. And as opposed to just being one of these nails going around looking for hammers, right? And I think that's what a lot of DeFi is doing right now. It's like, hey, these are some cool things that you can build on chain. Um, let's hopefully figure out a way to use them instead of trying to say like, wow, okay, this is actually interesting tech. What is some of the stuff that is done currently in the real world? Like I'm the opposite of the moonshot guy, the moonshot boy, honestly, right? Like I believe super strongly that, that crypto and digital assets are the future. But I think for them to start off and really gain share initially, it needs to be in this element of like, here is a problem that we currently have that has a lot of room for automation to cut out fat. How can you automate some element of it or use some element of like the globalization of finances that crypto enables to source capital and transfer liquidity on chain more effectively, right? And so for me personally, I see the end goal of crypto being I can take any asset at any time, accurately price it relative to any other asset at any time and get instant execution for it, right? And so to that end, I think that anything that works towards that is super creative for, for the long-term goal. Okay, let's get a little spicy. We've only talked about building things in-house and, you know, kind of doing it your own way. We never talked about actually, you know, some M&A activity, right? What if Frax ends up buying Curve or Curve kind of, you know, fighting back or, you know, Convex out of nowhere comes in with that wide haymaker and just get going. Uh, let's, let's hear some thoughts on Haym on this. Do you think any uh, consolidation is going to happen? I mean, no, I think that 
Like I think the only, I think that the only one that makes like sense to be folded into either of the other two is convex, but convex is also in the dominant position over the other two. So like I don't, I don't really like I see the. Path. Can you unwrap that the dominant position? No, I mean like convex owns like math like. Just, just like put, you know, like them in a triangle and then their ownerships of each other and like look at where if you if you try to account for every single piece of yield that happens like across the entire ecosystem, including the things that don't involve the other people. Right. But that like whatever happens that generates revenue and then look at where it ends up. Does it accrue to the VE CRV holder or the CRV holder? Which again, like that's another conversation we need to have on like, what do those things mean? Right. But anyway, does it accrue to CRV to CVX or FXS? And like, I, I haven't done the math. I can't say this definitively to you right now, but like back in the mapping calculations, like I'm pretty confident to say that the plurality goes to CVX. And so that's what I mean. And, and, and saying, voting power, like, I think, uncontroversially belongs to CVX. Like, one VLCVX controls more, controls the VECRV as well as VEFXS more than the other way around. And I think this, like, word control is, like, so loaded, right? I think, I, th I think that if you take CRV and then you put a line under it and then you say, like, what is owned in the smart contract, that yes, Kit, what you just said is accurate. But like, I don't think that that means what you think it means, what the generic you think it means. Okay. All right. Let's, let's pass it over I think, to Chase. Um, I it, it's worth adding. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, I, I think just like one quick yeah. point that's cool to note too, fundamentally on this point of M&A in crypto without even diving down to the level of Frax and these other protocols, which I'll let Chase and, and Haim handle, um, is why do companies in traditional finance do M&A, right? It's you want to acquire some sort of tech, you want to acquire the team, or you want to acquire their core clients, right? In crypto, because everything is so composable, you, it's really hard to acquire core clients, right? Because if I'm a Curve user and Frax acquires Curve, I'm probably not necessarily going to switch directly to Frax because I have so many different options, not only on ETH, but across chains to achieve similar functionality, right? The second thing is the tech. Because all the tech is open source, there's much less of a premium that you would place on acquiring tech, right? You can just fork code if that's really what it comes down to. And then so at the end of the day, the only real reason you do M&A in crypto is to acquire a team. And to that end, I'm not actually sure that it makes sense for Frax to ever do M&A to acquire any of these teams. First of all, because I think they already have such a good team in-house. And B, because I think that they are so selective based on these interviews I've heard with, Defi uh, with Dave and Drake and everyone, right? It's like such an informal process. It's really, hey, what do you understand? How does your core ethos fit with our team? And then can you handle the kind of work we do in the environment that we do, which is much more of a, a feel-based process than it is like, oh, Curve is good. I'm just going to acquire their team, you know? And so that's my, my rebuttal to M&A and crypto generally, honestly. Yeah, I think Jack, you pretty much just stole the words out of my mouth on that. I, I was going to bring up the open source aspect, just completely changing the um, the whole game theory around like an acquisition here. Because if you can fork something at almost no cost, like granted, you can't fork liquidity on demand, um, but it's 
it's completely changing how the entire game works. Um, so I, I don't think there's a ton of room for like the acquisitions either. I think it's a little different if you have something like a Uniswap where they have like the whole Uniswap's labs and like a legal team and whatnot. Um, but again, that's, you know, gets into the camp of you're buying the, the people over there, um, where most of these teams are in fact, like just a handful of people, uh, it doesn't really make sense to pay like tens and hundreds of millions of dollars for that. And, cool. and in these case, by the way, are billions. Like these protocols, even in the bear market, are freaking massive. So like, I, let's let's keep that in perspective as well. Like Frax would need to come up with another Frax to pull something like that off. <laughs> Yeah, because it's not like these are privates or something like that, right? Where you can offer cents on the dollar necessarily. Like you would have to buy all of this stuff, either OTC or I guess negotiate a deal for like majority share directly with the treasury. And so it just really gets messy too. You're effectively doing like special situations type hostile takeover effectively of a, yeah. of a publicly traded company, which just makes it like additional levels of weird. <laughs> and well, again, if, right, if you... Not- yeah, you can if just we, say no. <laughs> the, yeah. It's the the private key, like the the people that own the like the group. What what's the word? The um, the people with the private keys can just say like, no, you didn't buy us. And something I want to add is, if we look at crypto, DeFi, M and As over the past year, just look at a Ferrari and how that turned out. Um, you know, even like going into it, it's felt like there was like a lot of tension between like the Rory community and like yeah, the, yeah. the terms of the deal. And then like after the deal was like went through, I'm not sure what happened to the Rory team. Um, mm-hmm. but like contracts got ex- exploited, $80 million stolen, um, lots of controversy around that. So I think like that's going to be used as a case study for the future of like why not to do crypto DeFi M&As because of that. I think like the only I have to agree with Jack, like the only way it would make sense is like, I mean, actually, never mind. I'm not sure if it would even the only way it would actually make sense is if it's something like Uniswap Labs and it's much more of like a traditional um, outfit and a much more traditional deal. It doesn't make sense in like a Web3 native on chain. Anything that has a token, you're not doing M and A. I think is like the shortest. Yeah, that's straight up. Anything that has like the value of, sorry, anything that has the value accrued to the token, right? Or like the equity accrued to the token, right? So Uniswap Labs has equity. That's why it's interesting, right? Um, The Uni token doesn't is a utility token, and so I think any company that's an equity based company, sure you can consider M and A, but anything where it's like actually token based, it's it's like out of the question for now. Yeah, barring like you know. Frax could acquire like a $50 million market cap protocol down the line if it wanted to really bring that tech in-house or something, right? But this, this yeah. huge, large-scale m and at least, yeah. Um, one thing I want to ask, I just thought of this, like as a case study, how do you got, what do you guys think of the compromise Frax and Olympus had with the Faye protocol after that whole debacle? I mean, I think that like whether or not it ever makes it make it into the history books like that is more important than like most people realize just in like I can say with certainty that like subpoenas were flying over that whole situation and like just having a resolution in which the people who did get screwed felt like satisfied was like so much more important to every single one of us both on this call and like listening to this than like any like 
that is what I saw in that situation. And I don't really care how we got there. And I like very much commend the like Olympus community and like the Frax leadership for like pulling that off. But, um, that whole thing was a disaster. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know that I honestly have a really strong feeling about the event itself, other than it really underscores some of my questions and problems with on-chain voting and on-chain governance in general. Just, I'm super pro it being done, but I think there need to be a lot of conversations about how it's actually getting done. And specifically, you know, one of the big, just to tie this to another topic, right? Like one of the big questions around RWAs is like, how do you have a smart contract then actually do real world stuff, right? And I think to the same degree, how do you enforce on-chain voting if it's a multi-sig actually executing things at the end of the day? That remains the limiting centralized factor. And so there needs to be a lot more thought and, and process in terms of, okay, if I'm actually going to be a DAO, how do I do this in a way where things are genuinely decentralized and stuff goes to the community? And then second to that end, how do you then do it and not get beanstalked, right? Like how do you do it and not have some single underlying flaw in a hundred zero sum game with a, with a, predator it results in you losing everything right and so it, it's such a tough question to answer and i think it's honestly unanswerable for now uh and that's why i kind of encourage like this DAO and decentralization as a spectrum thing um, but it also means that you need to be much more cognizant of like when you hear the word DAO, understanding that they probably live somewhere on this spectrum and knowing where your trust and centralization resides in that process at any given point in time is super important. Yeah, that's one thing they talked about at DevCon this year. One speech I went to was specifically about, you know, governance attacks and how, you know, DAOs much have to be a lot more aware of when they decentralize, like where their weak points are. So there isn't something like a bean situation or something like that. And so, yeah. yeah. And I, I wrote about point, this like six yeah. months ago too. Like uh, my, my, my piece was called like, is code law, right? Just because there's this idea on chain right now. You even saw it post um, the recent hack uh, the other day where, where they had uh, the mango hack. Mango right? like, this guy came on live <laughs> yeah, and he was like, he was like, yeah, like I was just using the code as it was written. And it's, it's honestly like such a legal gray area right now, right? Where there's this idea of, intent of the law versus actual like the way it's written and my kind of key point is that like law is designed to protect you know life liberty and property at the end of the day right and as it stands right now there is a lot of property that is being failed to be protected by the law the way it's written both legal law and also like on-chain smart contract law and so something i think is really interesting is is how do you actually explore this and design law that is actually helping preserve this goal oh jack rousseau would be so proud of you right now <laughs> if, rousseau, if rousseau was around to hear that yeah i got like, i got my shelf of philosophy books down here <laughs> prepared me yeah um i wanted to add before with Haim, like i agree with you i think like the fact that you know frax and olympus were able to come to this compromise with Frey is a huge accomplishment because if you look at like even Mt. Gox, like that's still in court. If you look at like so like Bitfinex, that's still like all these legal proceedings take years, if not decades. And like that same would have happened if like this compromise like didn't come about. So like the fact that we're able to like get it done on chain like that, people get their funds back within like a very, very short turnaround is actually like a huge feat. And I just wanted to add that before we continue on. Um, and so, Chase, um, what are your thoughts 
on uh, the whole like uh, compromise between Olympus, Frax, and Fey? I, I'll be honest, I did not follow it very closely, uh, so I, I don't have. <laughs> I respect that answer. Brain to add to it, <laughs> I, I think more people should say uh, that's I'm the not biggest sure. brain answer. Yeah, yeah. to be honest yeah, about like, it, yeah. uh, I have a life, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, 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 I was reading governance <laughs> forums this past week. <laughs> sorry, 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 I was touching grass during that time. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, at, at at Masari, we have a, a whole governor team uh, plugged into that stuff, so. Uh, it, Definitely a different Masarian um, could answer better than me, so I'll I'll defer there. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. That was not. I mean, Frax got involved, but that was not a Frax thing. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to get into, since we're talking about like kind of compromises and law and regulation, is like the current like regulatory um, environment right now. I feel like nothing has been set in stone, but there's a lot of things being talked about. Like at DevCon, they talked about like one act in the U.S. Um, that would like effectively ban DeFi as we know it and only allow you to interact with DeFi with like trusted intermediaries, which goes against the whole point of DeFi as it is. And also something in the EU, which is like, you know, very bad for, I don't know how else to say it, but pretty detrimental to dollar-based stablecoins. I would limit, you know, the volume of dollar-based stablecoins per day and also like effectively ban algo stables. So like, what do you guys think of like this current, like these regulatory clouds and like what can be done um, to combat this. And I'll start, start with Haim here. I, um, and what I do you think, think Frax can do about it? And also let me add Yeah, that. I think, I mean, I think we talked about, um, I, my opinions haven't really changed since the last time we talked. I think that the bottom line is that if you um, are not at the table, you're on the, you're on the menu, right? And I think that a huge, like, in retrospect mistake that definitely DeFi and really like the broader Ethereum community has made is just to like trust that like something is going to work out. Right. And I think the, the lesson that we took away from Facebook and, and that whole situation was like regulators just like are going to let things grow until they're like so big that, you know, we define them on our own terms. And I think the lesson we should be taking from Facebook is that as they grew, they played the game, right? Like from so early, like even in the, that social network movie, right? Which was, I mean, I remember seeing it in what, 2012 or 2013, right? Like they're talking about like their lobbying efforts in Washington, right? And the reason that they got this big was because they like did... Uh, blocking and tackling for the people that were like coming for them and some people are coming for you because they like are you know like luddites and like just trying to break things that are new right some people are coming for you because like they take short positions some people are coming for you because like somebody else who took a short position gave them like really really good reasons to hate you right and i think i think Again, if you're not at the, the table, you're on the menu. And my worst fear, like I, I said it before, I'll say it again. I fully expect the United States to do something like criminally stupid and like even to the point where it like bans running a validator, right? And it, I believe so much in what we're building and the inevitability in what we're building that I fully plan to like move to Dubai or Singapore or wherever for the 10 years because I am fully confident that... <laughs> 
like the U.S. will undo that stupid. Dis it's prohibition, right? It's literally they will undo it. We'll just be worse off and worse off behind. And I'm not like willing to just like wither here, right? And go like, and like work for a beer company or something, right? So that like that is what I'm worried about. And what like the, there's there's like orders of there's steps to this, right? Like the second worst case scenario for us fraximalists, right? Is like. What if USD, uh, I wish I hadn't said a name. What if like Tether got involved there, right? And like was able to craft a law that says like, it is illegal for a US citizen to hold a stable coin unless you can directly redeem it for one fiat dollar. Like <laughs> if we're not there to like explain to people what that means, right? Which really means like, the only people that are going to be allowed to do this are this one company in the U.S. and like these literal scammers over here that are like the drug, like like that are, you know like this is the dark crypto. This is like what the Bitcoin Silk Web was, like like we need to be there, you know. And so like my feelings on like regulation are um, like the world passes by whether like you think it's important or not, and like 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 we're we're important enough. It's like time to have a voice. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, if Fraxland, if they create loans to businesses that create jobs and we can, like, send that to Washington, like, hey, look, Frax's protocol is creating jobs. Like, they'll love that shit. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> like, honestly, like, I was at DEF CON, that's, like, one, another thing they talked about. It's just, like, what are, like, yeah. some things, like, that are, like, you know, hamper down regulation. It's just, like, you want to give, like, that's a politician. If, like, I even remember, like, way back at LizCon, um, this one person talks about how if, like, 15% of people were employed by DAOs, um, governments would be, like, less likely to take actions to restrict DAOs because yeah. so much of their population depends on them. So I think, yeah, like, facts would be more mindful about that. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Like, you want to hear, like, a strong ground game is, like, if Frax like, put, let's say, like, $10 million aside to fund 10 companies that they worked like Sam worked very closely with, like once a week met with the founders, that like these companies that are like investments, like were real world companies that like used fracks to like provide jobs in like constituencies of like people that are receptive to this stuff. And we could like go to them and say, like here's a bill that would like make your district like a competitive place because look at what we're building. Like that is like a whole different world than what we're looking at today, which is like, who can whine the most of, on Twitter about the, the, that <laughs> MEV censorship line we've all been watching, right? Like, you know, if, if you want to like play adult games, like let's play adult games, but otherwise like, like I'll see you guys all in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, Jack, what are your thoughts on regulation and how Frax can, you know, be in this environment, live in this environment? Yeah, no, I think I agree with um, a lot of the stuff that's been said already, especially um, I think doing groundwork to make sure that everyone on both sides of the spectrum understands exactly what this stuff is, is really important, right? That's why I came to the job that I did, right? Like I, I, my background is in traditional finance for those that don't know. And so my goal was how can you actually take and make sense a lot of the stuff, um, right? People kept saying, hey, it doesn't have fundamentals. It doesn't have fundamentals. I, I refuse to believe that, right? And so my goal was, where can you find fundamentals um, by looking at this stuff in a crypto-native way rather than trying to shoe for in that old financial model like you brought up before, right? It's, it's not, how can I apply this to crypto? It's, 
how can I do something in crypto that achieves the same goals that financial models achieve for finance, right? And to that end, that's what we do with the tie, right? It's how can we ingest all of the data that exists, turn it into something meaningful on a protocol by protocol, sector by sector, blockchain by blockchain basis, and then present it in a digestible way for institutions and so like a cost-effective way for the protocol, right? And so we took 25K for a year of work with Frax and, and with the Flywheel pod. And then between that, we're going to be producing written content, um, webinar-type short content to understand it, uh, data and dashboard metrics. And then on top of that, even getting core team uh, in, directly in front of institutions, whether that's through our messaging platform or whether it's through stuff like uh, webinars through stuff like one-on-one -on -one conversations because we have their calendars integrated directly on the platform, whether it's through our annual roadshow, right? It's just getting the team in front of the right people to help them learn about what is actually going on. And so for me, that's the end goal purely from an information perspective and importantly, from a valid information perspective, right? Like you can't just take token revenue and pretend that that's the same as, as, as stock revenue if tokens don't actually accrue the value, right? And so helping contextualize a lot of the shit that's going on, why it's different and why it needs new nuance is, is I think, going to be important. Yeah, Chase, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep my uh, personal opinions out of it more so on uh, <laughs> what the regulation should be and, and whatnot. Um, I tend to think that, you know, Kind of what Haim was saying that, you know, it's going to be an overreach, whatever happens. Um, and ultimately it's going to be like some form of, uh, bottoms up, uh, rebuttal from the people with all of this. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, we can't take, um, steps right now in order to, um, you know, help educate, um, as Jack was saying, like getting, getting fracks, um, team members in front of the right people is extremely important. Um, uh, my CEO, Ryan Selkis is in Washington right now, speaking with a lot of, uh, legislators and, you know, he's very, very, very passionate about the political landscape. Um, and you know, he will fight until his dying breath to make sure that his, his presence is felt on it. Um, so, you know, it could be as simple as just having him connect Sam with, uh, the right people there. And, you know, just having these educational talks about, you know, like, okay, stable coins, what are they? Like, what are the actual risks that they uh, present? But, you know, at the end of the day, there will be um, a lot of the institutional pushback and, you know, people who do have control over these situations right now, not wanting to give up control to a decentralized network and um, individual actors um, over the space. And, you know, that, that does give me pause for concern for the long-term. Um, but yeah, in the short term, I think all we can do is continue to educate and reform how we speak about this stuff. Yeah. Um, for a last question, you know, Jack, you work at the Thai. Chase, you work at Mazari. Jack has been showing the Thai a lot. Chase, can you give your show of Mazari to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Misari is a, a leading market intelligence and data provider for the crypto economy. Pretty much just want to standardize everything um, there is about crypto provided in a transparent, objective manner um, for anyone that can consume it. So going back to our conversation about you know institutional adoption and, and getting people in the door with understanding these things from a crypto native perspective, rather than viewing it from uh, traditional finance and uh, just kind of like <laughs> previous uh, lenses. You know, we think that's really important for um, 
you know, just the entire space um, in general. So at Masari, we um, not only service like enterprises, institutions of the world, but we also have um, a side of our business that directly interfaces with um, protocols. Um, we write quarterly reports, um, pretty much do like outsourced investor relations um, on the protocols. So, you know, there could be an avenue for Frax to do um, engagements there um, and pretty much just try to, you know, stick to the objective reporting and standardize this stuff in the best way possible from a third party provider. And um, hey, how do you do your research and like, where do you get your information from? Because I, I love the evolution of Haim's threads from just about like Frax and Curve and that flywheel. And now you're into like elliptic curve. <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm going to the elliptic wait. curve and tell Haim. Yeah. 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 With, with, with graphics It's like, imagery. how do I get like deeper and deeper <laughs> into blockchain? Now you're like literally going to like crypto as in cryptography. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think... Um, for well to answer your question like where does my like research come from like honestly i go to vitalik's blog and just like scroll until i find something interesting and like just like go from there um i can and, confirm by the way i just saw a message from Tabe last week that was like hey does anyone have any resources on elliptic curves <laughs> i sent him two extremely obtuse and long-winded articles and then like 24 hours later, there was a 24 part thread on it. Okay. So like, this man's a machine. Like, a let's machine. be clear. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I think DeFi is like incredibly interesting and I have like a, um, a traditional finance background and like, that is a huge reason why I'm here and like what got me interested and like why I'm a huge believer. And like, I believe is like crypto's first product market fit. But, um, I, I, I like, we're going through the exact same thing that happened in the nineties with the internet. Right. And like the first thing that happened was that like, <laughs> it was madness. Right. <laughs> That's what it is still. Right. And, and one or two things found product market fit. And like, we found like, I don't know, personal websites, which like eventually turned into social networking, which is like a huge part of our lives today. And like maybe DeFi goes through that evolution. Right. But at the same time, just the to imagine what the world looks like today and how the internet is like an integral part of like literally every single waking hour of let's say two billion of the eight billion people on this planet it like is is so hard to wrap your head around that like that it's almost like silly to like look at the one thing we have today and be like this is why we're doing this um and so like what I'm interested in now is like to understand like what why we're doing this in the first place. What is the vision of Ethereum? How like the the people that are involved today are pushing that vision forward at le every layer of the stack. And like I um, I'm just a believer, and I like want to breathe life into Ethereum. And I think Frax like I think Sam is like is another acolyte. And like, that is why I'm a fractionalist is because Sam and like the team that is like coalesced around him believe what I believe. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm here to like push that vision forward. So I don't know. Vitalik's blog. Wait, I was going to ask, um, <laughs> since you've been reading Vitalik's blog and you know how, you know, Hayden got Uniswap's idea that formula was in Vitalik's blog. Have you found any alpha or like any like future groundbreaking protocols in Vitalik's block yet? I don't know. I mean, if you guys want like Haim Alpha, which is actually, but I don't know. We'll see where I am. By no, let's hear some Haim Alpha. Haim yeah, Alpha. 
Name like, alpha. I just like want to understand what uh, dank sharding means. Um, and so, oh. Like, oh, I wrote on that, or rather, yeah. I wrote on that. Yeah, <laughs> I can send you an article. Wait, yeah. well, I, I did like a little bit of dank sharding, snooping around DevCon. It's basically, well, there, there'll be like a fee market around data availability, yeah. right? That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so that's like the that's um like the puck I'm skating towards right now, and then um you know I don't know like we'll see, but I again I think like it, okay if uh, last time we were, we were together you asked for some alpha at the end and like I'm not related to any institution so like let me tell you what I'm excited about which is like the middleware layer of um between like the EVM and the real world right and today that's like basically one company. It's Chainlink, right? But like, there is like that is what everything. That is the only thing that matters after we just like and like after HTTP was done, nobody's ever touched it. Like it's just there. Like that's that we're in the like figuring out HTTP phase of Ethereum. Like what matters is this like amazing like diverse ecosystem that's going to exist at like varying levels that like directly touch the chain, which will be this like beating core settlement layer all the way to like whatever happened to like make this phone, right? Ooh, 11, 11. Um, and so <laughs> I think that, um, I think that like there is like still like a beautiful empire to build and to conquer within the EVM and within DeFi, but like the true alpha is like in this middleware layer. And so like that's, um, Again, that's yeah. where I, why I'm interested in dank sharding. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll start wrapping up with, uh, you know, what's everyone's alpha and what are people excited about? So, Jack, what is your alpha to leave us with and what are you excited about? Yeah, I'm excited about so much. Um, on, a, on a work level at the tie, like we're doing so much cool stuff on the DeFi connectivity level. And, you know, I, I, I think what Masari is doing is fantastic. I want to make that really clear. And I don't even see us as necessarily competitors because they're so focused on just like bringing up the entire tech stack to speed whereas we're really only focused on the traditional financial and institutional layer and so a lot of what we do isn't just like DeFi native deep dives a lot of it's also how do you translate this stuff in the most meaningful way to this traditional investor and a lot of what we're doing is actually really synergistic and over the long term we, it's it's just important to realize that we're fighting for the same or we're we're playing for the we're same We're on team, the same team. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's all in the name of, of data availability uh, availability, transparency and information, right? And so that that's the goal. That's one thing I'm really excited about. And then the other thing I'm really excited about and have spent a lot of time thinking about, and this is gonna be my personal plug for um, a, a panel I'm doing on Thursday with Goldfinch, Maple and Centrifuge is all right we've heard a lot about asset tokenization real world assets and so um you know a year ago DeFi was popping demand for leverage is high liquidity is high you can lend stables and organically get five to ten percent off chain rates are zero and so opportunity cost of having dollars on chain is 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 so low versus now no demand for leverage no liquidity stable coin rates are 0.5 to two percent lower than off chain yields exactly and so why would you ever want to have dollars on chain? That's question one. Two, if you have dollars on chain, how do you actually earn organic sustainable yield on them? Parentheses, RWAs. And then three, um, how does this affect the long term? Like, how do we get to a point where off-chain rates flow into DeFi and vice versa and achieve actual liquid markets via this middleware solution? That's exactly what Ian's talking about, right? And so 
I think a ton of this stuff is interconnected. I think exactly like I was saying, this is what's really interesting for me because long-term, you can't really have these things existing as separate ecosystems. There needs to be that interconnectedness of the real world and the digital world, the, the metaverse. And so it's like, okay, uh, how does that actually happen, right? And that's something that we've been spending a ton of time thinking about from both a stack and association perspective uh, on our research team. Chase, to you. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll wrap it up. Um, just echoing what Jack said, I, th I think it's really cool that we work in an industry where you know we can be, um, I wouldn't say competing companies, uh, but coexisting companies. We're all working towards uh, you know the same cause, um, and ultimately, it's that win and help win mentality that uh, Bology talks about a lot. Um, I'd say for uh, kind of things that I've, I'm watching is uh, our team is really keen on like the idea of decentralized social and ultimately like what the that phenomenon will do for things like under collateralized credit markets. Um, so getting super interested in that. Uh, a lot of the uh, latest hackathon winners have have all been social projects, uh, the vast majority of them. Uh, got a coworker writing about that right now. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see how that stuff pans out over the next six to 12 months or so. Um, I think like very high level, uh, I, I think Bology's concept of the network state is fascinating. Um, excited to see how more of like the very um, early emergences of that play out. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll tie it back to kind of what we've been talking about with like this, this middleware Oracle problem, trust assumption into the real world. I think that is a really under-talked about aspect of the space because um, we're building all these trustless systems um, that exist in a digitally native world. But, you know, as soon as you try to tie two of those digitally native worlds together, i.e. like the cross-chain landscape, you run into the Oracle problem again. You run into the Oracle problem going from real world to digital. Uh, I think that more and more we're going to see um, kind of protocols emerge to answer all of that in one. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Maybe if if Chainlink ever releases their cross-chain uh, messaging system, I think that has dark horse um, candidacy for um, making a big splash in, in the cross-chain space. Yeah, either that or layer zero with their cross-chain messaging. Like that seems so. That seems like it'll be the oh, HTTPS. Man, I think the future is eigenlayer. Oh, Ooh. I've been recently hearing about that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's that. I think is like. Oh, like that, if you want alpha, like there's no token, it's like in the research phase, but like that is the future of yeah. all of this. We're writing about it right now. What and is the, the founder's super dope on Twitter too. He's like not <laughs> responsive, by the way. <laughs> Wait, what um, is... I have to, I really have to jump, by the way. So can I, can I, are we at yeah, the point where about... I can, okay, we're cool. good. Yeah, we're good. Thanks yeah, everyone for coming on. Uh, we'll get into more, another episode. Uh, we'll see you all around. Yeah, do it slow. Don't, 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 rush, don't rush for me. Do it right. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for coming on. Uh, this has been a great uh, State of Frack, State of DeFi episode. Uh, excited to have everyone on again, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for having us. Peace. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for watching this episode of Flywheel Pod. We had the Researcher Roundtable on. Kit, any final thoughts? Man, I am just kind of baffled at how deep we kind of went across the whole, not just DeFi stack, but down to the blockchain middleware layer. 
what? Yeah. You know? Also, like, literal elliptic curves and whatnot. But, yeah, I think, like, the thing that I took away from this most is at the end when they talked about the middleware layer connecting the real world with the world on chain. Like, that is really going to be the thing that launches DeFi and Web3 to the masses and to, affini- to like, infinity. Um, you know, yeah. hopefully regulation gets clear. That yeah, can it, happen. Exactly. And then go- yeah. I feel like it has that next cycle vibe to it of like what's going to really kick us off into that next cycle yeah. you know we had DeFi summer which was you know finance on chain and now what's going to kick us back into the next bull is going to be the finance meet on chain off chain you know yeah frax protocol creating jobs nationwide <laughs> that's the best one frax protocol paying that. income tax <laughs> worldwide <laughs> Yeah. And on that note, don't forget to subscribe uh, to us on YouTube. Don't forget to hit that bell button so you always get your daily dose of alpha from Flywheel Pod. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Flywheel Pod. Join our Telegram group at Flywheel Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And as always, nothing said on this episode is financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly, strictly educational and is not investment advice in any form. There's no solicitation to buy or sell any assets or make financial decisions at all. This video is not tax advice. Talk to your accountant, do your own research as always, and we'll see you next time.